the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. It's a show dedicated to getting you to retirement. When I got into the industry, I was kind of a disruptor. I liked growth stocks. The industry liked value stocks. I brought the young person's mind to the game. Now it's an even younger person's game. So now I'm looking like the old dinosaur that I displaced. I got these little teeny tiny dinosaur arms and I got teeth that can't quite, how shall we say, ripping into meat. I'm kind of a vegetarian per se. It's time to put me out to pasture and have a comet hit the earth and take me out. I feel that the rules of investing have changed. Will it turn out to be short term? Will Dogecoin, will meme stocks be the new way of going forevermore? Will the short-term focus rule the day? Or will you get back to normal where it's long-term wealth accumulation? That's what I do. I feel that real estate has changed. I feel that pensions have changed. I feel that we got to look at the way we look at assets and liabilities differently as we age. My parents, it was pretty easy to buy a home for them. My dad was in the military, he had a salary. As part of being in the military, they give you a housing allowance and they basically put you in a pretty nice house. So he didn't have to buy his first private home until after he retired. So I didn't grow up learning about mortgages. I didn't grow up learning about taking a look at the condition of the home or the, the, the foundation. I didn't know what waivers were appropriate and or not. California taught me about bolting down a house. You can bolt a house down. Yeah, you can bolt a house down. So you got to be very, very open-minded. When you think about real estate investing, the first thing that probably comes to mind is home. There's the Talking Head song, Home, It's Where I Want to Be. Pick me up and turn me around. I think you can hear the word home or heaven or angel in probably one out of every four songs easily. Join me today, Tony Mendez. Bay Area Loan Source. It's been a while since he's been in studio. Let's see if his microphone is actually working and to see if he tested it. Good morning. Sounds like it's on. It's a miracle. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been here. Yes, it has. Try to stay on mic if you could. Uh, real estate investors have a lot of options these days. 30-year, uh, 15-year arms, uh, points, no points. There's There's a lot of... Uh, words and acronyms that we need to be familiar with, but uh, we're going to get into it about the history of buying homes. You, you and me, we could talk about our own situations for sure. I think uh, throw down some righteous lessons. Lessons. Uh, 
how's the real estate market doing these days? How's the, how's the mortgage market, the, the underlying funding of the real estate market doing? Yeah, it was interesting when you were just talking about how the investing has changed for a lot of people, especially you. Yep. Um, the mortgage industry did a massive change leading up to the Great Recession where a lot of riskier products came out. People, it, they tried to incentivize people to get into mortgages, get into houses. And now we've gone back to the old days where it was you know, tighter guidelines and making it a little bit harder for people, um, qualified mortgages and the ability to repay rules. So we've kind of gone backwards to what it was supposed to be like before the Great Recession. So as far as mortgages are concerned, it's, it's nearly the same that it was prior to the Great Recession. But no, it's, it's great. Uh, I've always have a great saying that the harder the loan or the more complicated the loan, the harder the guidelines, the lower the rate you get. The... <laughs> Going to your microphone know, once already. The um, and the the easier the guidelines, the higher the rate. So we have something now called non-qualified mortgages. So that's a, a new part of the market, which kind of replaced what they call non-subprime uh, loans. Yeah. So there, you know, there's some changes, but it, when it comes to uh, you know the same qualifications, you still have to make. Have you seen a difference in people who qualify and people who don't? Like right now, you can look, take a look at this room and you see two Caucasian white guys. Um, you can look to your left, see the the producer. You can look to your right. Have the people changed who are asking for mortgages? Yeah, nicer I mean, clothes. Well, we we came out of a, a very interesting time, the Great Recession, and I think we have a wiser yeah. consumer. Uh, people pay more attention to their credit. People pay more attention to the the way that they record their income, especially investors when it comes to like their tax returns, and they're now asking more questions about how do I end up with a better usable income? How do I improve my credit score? So people are more involved with that type of aspect of the, the mortgage transaction. Real estate's always going to be that you know ultimate goal for most people, most families. So we always see that drive that's always been there. It's just the way people approach it, it may have changed a little bit. They're, I believe people are wiser. Credit scores have, have uh, gone up probably like 30 points on average since in the last 10 years. So we are seeing more people getting involved. As simple as those apps like Credit Karma. Credit Karma is awesome. And it just gets you involved. I remember the first year you had it, you said, oh, somebody's trying to buy a car with my, my credit. Right. And it, it just gets you involved in – and but It's a cheap way of following yeah. your own credit to protect yourself, and you can actually see what new accounts are opened up. My, I get a text message if I open up a new account. Um, I love it. I think it's one of the better uses of a smartphone. Um, it, it, it's pretty app, uh, applicable. To lifestyles, but credit karma. So you're saying that younger people are more in tune with their finances than, I, they, than you were, they I are. were 20 years ago. They are. Okay. Um, they, they're exposed earlier on the, you know, not just through media, but through the the availability of apps and other technologies that we didn't have. When, right. I, when I first got into finance, I didn't even know what, what my credit score was. I didn't know that I could ruin my credit really, really fast, and it took me a really long time to get it repaired. Like you learn that very quickly, um, so I, I was lucky to learn those lessons early in life instead of later. Yeah. Um, and and people still make those mistakes, uh, and it, and it's funny that we end up talking about credit a lot because it, it, it's such a credit heavy uh, industry. Right. Um, not just the mortgage industry, but everything, uh, cars and even furniture, credit cards, and, and it goes jobs. On. Jobs. Um, so yeah, the younger. The if I younger, hire someone these days, I check their credit to make sure that. They pay their bills on time. Yeah. It's a really stupid thing, and 
but it kind of tells you what what are you hiring? Are you hiring someone who's uh, you know bought a car and skipped out on it? Yep, the three C's, hiring, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so the younger the younger clientele do, do come to us as, um, with a lot more. Um, I don't want to say wisdom, but okay. knowledge. Uh, the wisdom comes later. It's funny because I, I'm starting to think because I've known you for 25 plus years. I've known CFP Chad Burton for 25 years. I, I I'm pretty loyal to the people that I know in the financial industry. Um. My first house was $100,000. I think I paid $96,500 for it. And I remember like the stress of being 25 years old and like, I wonder if I can afford this. And it, it was a glorified apartment. It was a townhouse. Um, I still remember the address. I still remember the closing agent. I mean, I remember being stunned by the paperwork. I just closed on a $3 million home and I docu-signed everything. Yep. So no paperwork, no lawyers. It just ding, 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 ding. I'm, I, I didn't read it 25 years ago when they brought, you know, 500 pages printed and sign here, sign here, sign here, sign here. And I certainly didn't read it this time. That that could be very scary, and uh, but not for somebody who's bought real estate and seen the changes year yeah. over year. So you've seen how everything's adapted. But for a, a person, a first-time home buyer, somebody who's in the, their early 30s, that might seem odd for somebody like us who are older looking at a buyer seeing that type of transaction, but they're used to it. That's the technology and wisdom that they're bringing. Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. This is Talking Heads, home, taking us out to break. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Song's Cleopatra. It's a beautiful video. Kind of portrays, I think, a single mom looking back on her life, having raised a successful son. Very beautiful concept. Cleopatra was married three times. Did you know Cleopatra was married to her brother? (laughs) Not this Mark Anthony guy. After her father's death in 51 BC, she became a monarch at age 18. I'm sorry for doing this, but I got to quote Nicole Richie. That's hot. 18 and a monarch? Digging it. Digging it. Committed suicide by a left cobra uh, to the breast. Ooh. So, yeah. So, anyhow, and anyway, I'm totally digressing. Um, real estate we were talking about today. I have Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's balls for short. <laughs> B-A-L-S.com. BayAreaLoanSource. That's how I always remember it. Um, we're talking real estate, and during the break, it's often the best conversation because you're out of radio mode. You're in conversation mode. Try to stay in conversation mode. Okie dokie. Um, <laughs> I talked about the first house I bought was like $99,000. That's crazy. And I just did a home where I'm at the age now where I wanted a different lifestyle. I want to go out on the back deck, watch the sunset, have a glass of wine. Current home I'm in now, 1,600 square feet, 1,700 square feet with a small addition in the back office. Too small for me. Um, when you have two kids who are one walking down the hallway, he's almost six feet tall now. He's a man. And uh, I'm like, go to your prison cell. So I had to get more space. But um, things change, right? So that's, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. You remember my first home. You, you, you basically described what it's been like for many, many generations of owning homes. They buy a starter home, then they go to the next yep. home. They, in a lot of cases, they have to move you know, based on work and family issues. And, um, and then you, you're, you step up every single time. And, you know, you've seen the equity grow, and you're able to move it. And, and my dad did it. 
Um, and my, we're all my, different is what I want to yeah. like talk about for a second. Like I'm looking at Andrew and I think he's like 35 ish. He's a board op here uh, or producer for the show. He's awesome at what he does. But I'm like, I bet he doesn't own a home because it's California. Would he own a home in Virginia or in Tennessee working at a radio station? Probably. Probably. And uh, that's a little bit of a difference, right? And then I look at you and like uh, you've got a property in Reno. You have a property in Virginia. Um, I have a property in North Carolina that's a rental that I don't even know anything about it, dude. Like I forget that I even own it. Right. Because I have a rental management company and I say, eh, I don't need to make, don't, don't, don't charge 1800 a month, charge 1200 I don't need to gouge people. I don't need anything like that. I, I, I'd rather have like fly under the radar kind of approach to it. And yet you were talking, you know, people that are like, they babysit every decision. Um, the person I just bought a home from, she's a freak. She's put it on the market. She's taken it off the market. She's put it on the market. Um, didn't want to part with anything in the, she wanted all the pots, all the plants. Like, come on, leave a plant behind, you know? <laughs> There's definitely a different mindset between different types of investors. Yeah. There's no doubt. Uh, we, we see that difference all the time, especially when it comes to the details. You can tell instantly how involved people are in their real estate. Some people have gotten lucky and they're just like, yeah, I own real estate. You know, how much does, what's your mortgage? What's your taxes on this property? Oh, I don't know. I'll have to look it up. And then there's other people, of course, who know every single detail. And you, and you can tell right away how, you know, whether they were kind of, I don't want to say classically trained, but there are some people who really have self-taught them, themselves in investing in real estate. And you can really, it really makes a big difference. I read a great story about a guy who, who is 30 years old and ended up buying four properties. And now it earns him about $10,000 a month just because he, you know, he cut the cor- he he didn't cut corners. He 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 what they called increased the gap between what he spent and what he's ma- what he made yeah. by just picking up extra jobs, saving money. He really focused on real estate, and that's the kind of guy who will know every single detail, and he'll retire with some properties. And that's the ultimate goal is to have that residual income later in life. Otherwise, why would you own the, the real estate? I'll be uh, honest with you, Tony. I, I'm I almost disagree with you. Remember when I bought that uh, property seventeen, eighteen years ago in, in Raleigh, North Carolina? I was like, I'd like some residual income when I retire. And now it's, it's going to kick off a whopping $12,000 a year. I can't live off that. Not even the pay. Like, but if I lived in North Carolina or if I had a trailer in Georgia, maybe that would be quote unquote residual income. Isn't it interesting? Just like the perspective, like, and I'm, I want to ask like 20 years ago when I brought you to California, I, you were a friend of mine on the East coast. I was like, I need a good mortgage guy. Um, I think the deals were you were, you were saying like people would come to you and say, I want to be a, a landlord. I want to buy a duplex. I want to live on one side and rent out to the other side. I want to babysit the renter kind of thing. Um, what are you getting people who want to be landlords? Are you getting, or is that kind of as affordability is, you know, broken down, are, are you losing the, uh, what I guess we would call the rental property investor. Most of the investors that we work with, um, manage their own properties and they're very, Okay. In depth in their their business, they they treat it. In fact, one of our favorite clients, he buys a lot of property all across the United States. He, that's all he does. His his spouse works and you know full time W two job, and then he just manages the the property. So I like that relationship. But you can get that. It took him a while to get to that that point. So I mean, I, I, I I'm selling my first property that I ever bought yeah. right now, and that's you were just talking about how Raleigh worked. You know, it, at, maybe at the time it worked for you. Yeah, it's the same. You've always talked about how when you buy stock, you have to have some reasons to buy it and also have some reasons to sell it. Yeah, right. 
and and I think as things change, you have to just manage that that portfolio, that debt. We've seen a lot of people, especially with low interest rates, do that. They've seen prices rise, they've seen rents rise, and they've been able to take uh, some of their you know trim off the fat, so to speak, yeah. off their portfolio and and go into from a two you know two unit you know kind of dilapidated property to a better four unit kind of building and get good rates. And we've seen investors do those types I, of I transactions. I got old before I could become a successful rental investor. That's the other thing too, is that we, we, we're seeing more younger people look at investing as in, in property as far, as far as older people, because yeah. it just doesn't make sense as far as the portfolio goes. They're seeing the stock, the stock market plays a huge factor in this. Why would people get into real estate when they're seeing the stock market go up? So we've seen that you know 10 year run in both which has kind of divided a lot of people on stocks or on on real estate. What what is the most interesting part? I still see people putting tons of money. You're talking about three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars into investment properties to make maybe a couple thousand. Like your property in Raleigh, why yeah. I have this equity here? Why am I not making a big rate of return? So we still see people dumping my cash, money. My cash flow analysis sucks. Is what the answer is. And I was talking right. to CFP Chad Burton yesterday, talking about I just dropped three million on a property. I could have buy 12 homes in Raleigh for the same pro- amount of money. Right. And then I'm a, rent, uh, a rental investor. And then I have the, the monopoly. I've got the, the big empire, so to speak. Like suddenly I'm controlling lives and I can put first wife in one house, second wife in another house, third wife in third house. <laughs> and at 12 later, you're like, are you a Mormon from like the 1600s? Maybe. For the record, I'm sorry to all Mormons. I did not mean that. <laughs> that is a lot of work though. Um, I wouldn't want to do it. We would... We actually see more investors, like I said, trimming the fat and, and selling those properties and putting them into into like five plus units, apartment buildings, because it's easier to maintain. Plus, if you lose a tenant on a single family property, you lose 100% of those rents as opposed to a, you know, a, a 10 unit building. You lose one. It's only 10%. So it's Tony Mendez with Bay Area Loan Source. We're walking down memory lane, doing a little real estate chatting. Stay with us. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial money, investing, and more today. Focusing a lot on real estate. Um. There's real estate that you like and there's real estate that you don't like. You should have that kind of concept in your head. When I'm a stock guy, you know, through and through, I'm a stock picker. I'm a stock picker's picker, so to speak. You can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. Same thing with stocks, right? Um, Real estate, I remember getting into the industry and learning about REITs, real estate investment trusts. And I've always found it like a brilliant concept of a way of owning real estate. Um, So... My producer, who can't really afford to buy here, I'm like, you could own commercial real estate. He's like, no, I can't. No, I can't. And I'm like, you can go out and buy a real estate investment trust, which is something that Congress set up to basically take care of Congress. Back in the 1960s, there's a lot of wealthy white guys who said, you know, how can we, you know, cheat the system? And uh, they set up what were publicly traded companies that had to give 90% of the profits of managing the commercial property back to the shareholders. And you got to have it professionally managed. The professional management would buy the building. They would operate the building. So you got the appreciation of the building, of the location, maybe a Chicago office space, maybe a New York office space, 
maybe a movie theater in Virginia. Um, there's different types of commercial properties. But what's interesting that I bring that up on is Chad and I, when the first times I met him, we got into a vicious fight because he liked private rates. And I was like, you're just a salesperson. I'm like, you're getting that big kickback. He's like, yeah. And he's like, he, he, they flew me to Florida. I'm like, you're uh, such a, a, a monkey, for lack of a better word. I was thinking about a donkey, but I can't say it. Yeehaw. Um, so in private real estate, there was these big kickbacks. So they, people like Chad would go out and find a wealthy investor who wanted to diversify their portfolio and he'd buy a private REIT. I, I don't like private REITs because there's no auditing. There's no accounting um, that I feel comfortable with. Um, I like that's one of one. A lot of, a lot of front loaded costs for, the, of, for the investor. Yeah, and it's private, so it's like a limited partnership. You're limited, and you're not the master. You're the slave. You know you can't say master bedroom anymore? I know. Primary. Primary. Isn't that crazy? To me, I don't associate the two, but I I, I get it. So, um, anyhow, but I, I bring that up because when it comes to real estate, I think it's very personal, and I want to be able to see it and touch it and feel it. Charlie Crackler once was on the show and he's like, why would you own a real estate down in like North Carolina? It, it didn't like make any sense to him. And he's like, I want to be able to travel to the property and see it. What are your thoughts on, uh, uh, I guess you'd say the personalization uh, that comes with real estate. And it's like, some people can't afford California. So they go for North Carolina. There's definitely people who should not own real estate. Okay. Just start off and, and just say that there's people who should just rent, rent, rent. Okay. Um, I don't mind owning real estate out of touch, out of reach, so to speak, if you are used to owning real estate. I've owned real estate out of state. I I own several properties out of state and it's, it works out. I use a management company. I think it's, it's, it, but it's getting easier with technology and the, the, the apps. I have one client who uses, um, Airbnb and they, they provide really good accounting for, his rental properties that he used. And so those types of technologies have made it easier to self-manage even from long distances. I, I know people who have investment property here within reach, they, they never see it. So why not own property out of state? Uh, but do you remember when we flew to North Carolina yeah, yeah, and we sat next to a guy who was basically taking California money and buying real estate for clients, get a power of attorney. Yep. He goes and buys properties out of state and this was their investment angle. Um, so there was, I still know attorneys in California who do that every now and then they're like, you want to buy some stuff with me in Tennessee? I'm like, "Eh, not really. right now there's a big push towards that. Uh, Boise, um, it was the number one city in the United States of foreign in, uh, price appreciation. And we've seen a lot of investors go there. Uh, but that's just not the only city, all these second tier cities where jobs are moving. Austin, um, Utah right now is a, a big hot place. Denver, you saw what happened in Denver have driven a lot of investors to these cities because, you know, a lot of people are moving there for jobs, but not everyone's going to buy, but you're seeing limited inventory and a lot of demand and it's driving up inventory. So we're seeing that push again. I want, I want to focus real estate. I want to focus state. on again, the fact that some people are like, I'm turned off to private rates because I know how they work. Right. I like publicly traded rates. Um, do you remember? And I think he was a client of yours, but not for this, but um, the guy who owned uh, trailer parks, um, I was I was shocked and stunned, and he was so. I'm like, I don't want to own a trailer park. I don't like. I don't want to own a, a mobile home. And he's like, you don't know how much freaking fracking money there is. And he's like, cha ching, and like he like he lit up like a Christmas tree. 
uh, talking about it. I'm like, really? We just ran into a client that that makes he he's part owner and he doesn't have to do anything. He makes about forty thousand dollars a year owning one. Yeah. So and then we find real estate investors. Uh, I know you remember this one, the guy who owns a property in uh, close to Truckee, and marijuana growers came to him and said, "We want to use your property to grow," and that's a weird way of getting rental business, but. Well, we, it, we had a client. It whose, is what it is, right? His house burned down yeah. in the hills, and he he ended up in, not rebuilding, and he leases it out to marijuana growers. Yeah. And he makes more money that way than he would if he rebuilt the house and had renters. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... it's. And for the record, I don't yeah. know any of the legal issues on leasing your home or renting your home to marijuana growers, if you know or don't know. And uh, again, trailer parks, I'm like, aren't the clientele low? Like, we have really hardcore opinions. Um, what's a single family home? Like, uh, Gabrielle, she's been listening to the show for over 20 years and for 10 years, she felt price out of real estate, price out of real estate, price out of real estate. And then she finally, um, and she wants to get married. She's not the best looking girl, uh, but she's got a tech job, but she's had like 17 tech jobs. So she's all, she's getting fired a lot or, you know, downsized a lot. Um, and I was like, why don't you just get a condo in San Jose? And she's like, oh, condo. I was like, I'll come to your housewarming party. And then three years later, she sold said condo and bought a single family home. So, and she looked down on it is what I'm getting at is kind of like that approach of, there's a lot of psycho- psychology with investing. Like I like growth stocks. It's really, really tough to, to sell me on like a, a company that makes rugs, uh, Mohawk Industries, a company who does flooring. I'm like, eh, eh, what's the sizzle? And I hate saying that because that makes me sound like a douchey banker. <laughs> um, but. Condos are actually back in. Um, are they? Yes, they are. Okay. Uh, it, it's, you know, we talked earlier about, how, you know, what's the progression of, you know, what's the difference between the old investors in the old days and today? And that's one of them. It's it, it, Condos have come back as that entry home, the, the affordable housing, uh, especially in places, metropolitan areas like the Bay Area, uh, all across the United States that are getting new owners into houses. And, you know, the, these interest rates, yeah, the prices are higher, but it gets them into ownership. And it's still a, a achievable in many ways, but it, that single family home is still what they call king in the industry. It's seeing more price appreciation. It's, it's seeing more demand, especially across the United States. And that's what people are doing. That's one of the reasons that we're seeing places like uh, San Francisco losing some a lot of people to single family homes in the East Bay. Yeah. And, and it drove up Oakland for the last three or four years, which was then you know the top one or two in the in the West Coast as far as a price appreciation because people are looking for that cheaper single family home farther away from work. So we're seeing a, a lot of different changes within, you know, the micro economies and micro geographics of large cities. It's interesting to note, um, again, 25 years ago, I was a little bit more of a snob and I didn't even realize it. I'd say like, I would never own a condo because you could never really own it. You have condo fees until the day you die. But I have property taxes till the day I die. Like I, duh. Like and, and back then I was like I was I'd say that line ten times and I probably got people buy into my BS. Um, you know you can own like prisons. There's there's a housing situation that twenty five years ago I'd go. I bet a lot of Americans are gonna go to prison for life, and I I think we're always gonna have prisons. America's got a problem with prisons. We got too many of them. Um, so there was an investment angle, Correction Corp. And you can actually invest in the real estate of prisons, which is just surreal to think about. Um, and as I've gotten older, I'm like, I, I, I wouldn't put my money into that because I don't really believe in the prison system. I think it's kind of we, a broken system. We've definitely seen a lot more 
investors, you know, or especially first-time homebuyers, talk about whether or not they should buy real estate or get into REITs. Um, I have always thought that if you could, if you don't have Bay Area money down payment mm-hmm. wise to get that mortgage, you know, affordable for you and and qualify, to maybe take it out of state. And then if you're uncomfortable with that, what's another way to get into real estate? We're seeing more and more people say, get into REITs now. You saw what happened uh, out of the, the the big recession, the Great Recession, and the um, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They sold a whole bunch of properties to these large corporations, and then they've now turned those into REITs. So there's three large, large REITs right now that just buy properties. They even build properties now to just rent. So it, it's and you can get into those yeah. and still, you know, own rental property, but you're owning a very, very, very small portion of it. So, but and they're very successful. And companies like BlackRock, yeah, spent a lot of money buying homes when people were getting foreclosed on in 2006, 2007, and That's what it was meant for. It was meant to put a bottom to the to the the, the falling of prices. Yeah, and they were supposed to return these properties back to the community, to the to the buyers as affordable housing, but they've they. It was a loophole, and they kept the properties because they saw inventory drop, they saw rents increase, and they saw profit. So there's a huge amount of inventory that's sitting there that's not owned by the general public. Look at a chart I'm showing you on the right here. Put on your glasses if you can. Oh, we've got 30 seconds. We'll come, we'll come back and do this in a second. But these areas here that are gray, it's a chart that goes from left to right, and the gray are recessions in America in the last um, 60 years. And you can see real estate... Yeah, you could see kind of some downturns in there, but not really even during recessions. It's interesting. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. You can find Tony at BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Take a break. We'll be right back. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So I just, I know a lot of odd facts about Cleopatra, and since we're playing it for the second time today, Lumineer's song. I kind of want to be a Lumineer kind of dude. I want to kind of wear the white hipster t shirt, I want to have the hipster beard. And I want to walk around with a guitar, but that's not me. I'm a financial guy. This is what you get. You get weird knowledge about Cleopatra. Did you know that Cleopatra bathed in donkey's milk? <laughs> I'm just going to throw this down there. A thousand liters of milk. Here's what I would have said to Cleopatra. And she, she was known for having a beard. She wasn't all that beautiful. She wasn't Elizabeth Taylor beautiful. Um, here's what I would have said to Cleopatra. Let's say I'm one of our servants. Uh, Cleopatra, that, that's not milk. <laughs> Ugh. That's my French. <laughs> Who would? I didn't even know donkeys. I guess all animals. I, I, now I feel like Ben Stiller. I guess you can get milk out of anything, right? Anyhow, it's Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. We are in a crazy real estate market. Let's talk about that. We've talked a lot about the history. We've talked about my first home. It was a $99,500 home that I sold for 200000 Talking about getting lucky at real estate, right? My current home is a 1,600 square foot home that I bought for 950000 Kind of sneaked in and got it right before Easter. Um, they were supposed to do an open house, and the realtor was from 25 miles away, and she didn't realize it was that hot of a market, and she made a mistake, didn't do the open house. So I got it below asking. 
probably the last house on the peninsula to get below housing is my guess. That doubled in value. So I just did. I just bought another home. Um, and it's all cash. It's the first time I haven't used it. I feel very, very weird about that. Um, I knew that in this hot market, if I didn't do all cash, I wasn't going to get it. And I, I don't like that whole process of looking at a home, saying that you want a home, and then get into multiple offers. And like my realtor, I, 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 I kind of threw an elbow at her chest and at her ribcage and said, we'll get the home. And she goes, why are you so confident? I'm like, all cash offer. Um, is that... Are you seeing more of that where people come to you after the fact? Like I'm, I've come to you after the fact and you told me about a replenishment loan. I've never heard of a replenishment loan. It's not technically a replenishment loan, but I can get a mortgage after I buy a house with cash. I did not know that. Yeah, it's you're talking about cash offers. Uh, they've definitely grown in the market. Yeah. Uh, they peaked last year. Uh, all cash offers will get your offer accepted. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, you, you might even get less uh, a lower price because you're offering cash. You get the seller gets the money in 10 days. It's beautiful. It's a great transaction, especially when you have another property that you have to go to. A lot of sellers need to get the money to buy another house. Um, the replenishment loan is called delayed financing. So you, the, the rules are if you buy a house and you want to get cash out of it, yeah. you have to wait six months, but there are rules. You can do it right away. If you use what they call delayed financing, it's the same kind of rates, for a cash out loan, but it's a refinance. You're refinancing a zero balance into whatever your accounting limit is for Fannie Mae. Is that a loan that would come with like a coupon book, like a 30 year, like every month I have to send in a payment? Same loan, same 30 year fixed. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And somehow I've never known about this, but it makes sense. Taking out a loan against your own asset. And it's probably, I'm probably more attractive to borrow that money because I, I had the, the wherewithal to buy it in cash. Yeah. It, it, you can, you can borrow your money, mm-hmm. your own money, if you have it to buy the house in cash and then replenish it. It's, it's a great tool. A lot of people use it. Um, there, as long as it's your money you're replacing, there's very other, very few other rules and restrictions. So one of the things about this home, um, and I'm moving to Marin. Uh, off the peninsula, worthy of note that uh, I was talking to a stager about some of his furniture, and he said, congratulations getting off the peninsula. And it was the first time that that really hit me of like, I'm really living in a crowded area, really dense, and it has really changed a lot in the last 10 years. Um, in the last 20, in the last 30, in the last 40, in the last 50. Like every 10 years, real estate does change. Um, I think that's worthy of note. But you told me something that was kind of beautiful. And I love the word beautiful. I'm using that a lot right now. Beautiful. Beautiful. I put up a video of my kid playing soccer. And it's I beautiful. Use the word beautiful. Beautiful. Because his coach is Spanish and he's beautiful. Um, but that's off topic. Um, you said now you're a comp. I never thought of that philosophically. Um, and again, let's, a, a comp is a comparable sale. Right. Right. So. Let's say I paid $3 million, or let's say I paid $911 for square footage. There's square footage of $600. There's some homes are going for $700. Nicer homes are going for $800. Really nice homes are going for $900. Now I'm a comp, and that'll, that's the secret that I wanted to get to, is that same thing with, with stocks. If you buy Apple at $200, someone sold it at $200. It's, it's, um, that can backfire in some ways. Sure. Um, a lot of realtors will convince you that you are a comp. By pay, overpaying on the price, right? Oh, you went two or three hundred thousand over, but you now become a comp. Now yeah. the next buyer can do it. as long as the next buyer. It's kind of remember the pyramid schemes, right? 
where as long as somebody at the other end yeah. kept buying, um, that happened in, in the uh, before the Great Recession. Yeah. Uh, we saw... For the record, I'm not expecting to make any money on this property. Well, of course not. I mean, I, but they, I want it to hold somewhere close to it. Comp. Comp, right. Comparison. But in Comparable. leading up to the Great Recession, we, it was more driven by the, um, and I hate saying this, by the mortgage industry, yeah. where a loan officer would say, oh, you know, I, I can't get, the, I need a $800,000 value. And then one appraiser would say, well, I'll get 700. So he'd just pick up the phone and call another appraiser. I'll get 750. And then he'll do that until he gets somebody who says eight hundred thousand, so he could do a cash out loan. That you know the investor would, the owner would completely leverage the property. So things have changed quite a bit when it comes to that. There's um, new laws that have come into effect for appraisers. Um, I, did you get an appraisal? No. Okay. Um, and and you can tie this into the whole like cash offer. If if you're going in there with five hundred thousand dollars down on a two million dollar property, but you have to overbid by five hundred, but the appraisal doesn't come in. You're putting 100. It's 100 percent financing. You can't do 100 percent financing anymore. So it's t- it, it, that cash offer takes out the 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 loan person, the person with the loan, and and again another advantage towards that the uh, the all cash offer. I had an appraiser look at the property, which is interesting to note. Appra- um, appraiser inspector. Uh, appraiser um, came in and basically is like, okay, so it's not bolted down. It's not properly bolted down. Kind of gave me retrofit, the retrofit, and yeah. anyway, long story short, I kind of snuck one in, but that's off the record. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. It's Rob Black Show. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal a little bit more on that secret. That wasn't the payoff there. It's coming.